Okay. The last um, last few weeks we'd been we'd been touching on and speaking about Christian depression. We spoke about that about three weeks ago. We brought a couple of messages forward relating relating to it, and how indeed Christians can actually suffer with um, with with depression. With depression, it's not just the world that actually can suffer with it, but Christians can be afflicted of it as well. We last week. Um, we touched on the beginning of a series that I'm going to be speaking about related to joy. Joy, complete and absolute joy, which should be indeed the very hope of a Christian, the very um, experience of a Christian uh, related, to, related to Christ, related to our salvation, related to everything that we have. And we spoke about it last week as joy that's found first and foremost in the gospel of Christ. First of all, joy is found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nowhere else can joy be found. We compared it to how the world is looking for happiness. And we discovered that as we looked at the different quotes of individuals who spoke about happiness being the end goal for all of mankind, um, it's so rarely found. In fact, we looked at that last quote, which I thought was really, um, was really profound, and that was, if happiness is the accumulation of all things that a man has and all the things that he has desired, that accumulation cannot come but by the end of his life. But at the end of his life, his days are done. He is dead. He doesn't have any more life left. So there is a recognition that the happiness that the world is seeking after, they're seeking after in the circumstances that surround them what we're going to discover this morning is that the circumstances that surround the christian um, don't have an impact on their joy they don't have an impact on their joy and our text this morning is found in first peter chapter one turn there again with me please turn back to first peter chapter one Let's open in a word of prayer and we'll have a look at what it is that the Lord would have with us this morning. Father, we do indeed, dear Lord, give you thanks. We thank you, Father, for the joy that we can find in the Lord Jesus Christ, for the knowledge that we can have as Christians, knowing the truth of who you are, that we are born again, that we have a new spirit within us, dear Father, that doesn't hold its hope in this world, dear Lord, but holds its hope further, dear Lord, in that which is to come. Pray, dear Lord, that you'll be a blessing to us this morning. Give me calmness, dear Father, as well, dear Lord, and comfort, dear Father, as I share your word with my brethren this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. There's four points we're going to be looking at this morning, as is my custom. We're going to be looking at the first one, that we have joy, we find joy in a troubled people. Joy is found in a troubled people. The first verse that we looked at was verse 1. And it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. We've got a, a scattered people. Right from the beginning of this text, you're already getting a little bit of an insight into who these people are and what the afflictions might be that, that Peter is already addressing right at the beginning. He speaks of them as a scattered people. These aren't a people that have decided, you know, 
I'm going to move into better and fairer lands and nicer places. This isn't a people that have made a personal choice to uh, you know, have a bit of a tree change or a sea change because they want to change up their lifestyle and they found something nicer in another place. This isn't referring to a families or a family that has had their father have a promotion in their work and now needs to change venue. The word scattered doesn't give you a positive impression, does it? It gives you an impression of a people that have been forcefully removed, forcefully dispersed into different areas. The areas that Peter's speaking about here, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, are actually the, age, the, the, the regions that form what is today modern Turkey. Modern Turkey. So these areas are today modern Turkey. That's what that's referring to. Now, this place here in Turkey is roughly about 600 kilometres removed from Jerusalem. And that's who Peter is addressing. He's addressing the Jews. The question that we have, though, to get a bit of an understanding on perhaps what the cause of this scattering was, what was the cause of the scattering? We might have a bit of an idea when we're looking at trying to date um, this letter, date when... Peter was actually referring to these people. We know that in 2 Peter, Peter is addressing the same people, but he's speaking to them as Paul having spoken to them already before. Okay, But he speaks about Paul in, in, a, in the present tense that Paul is still alive. We also know that both Paul and Peter were martyred under the persecutions of Emperor Nero, roughly 64 AD. So it has to be before 64 AD, doesn't it? Can't be after, it's pretty difficult to write a letter after you're dead. So it has to be before 64 AD. That's important. That's important to know because can you remember what happened in 70 AD? Something happened really important in Jerusalem in 70 AD. Remember what it was? It was the destruction of the temple. It was when Titus Vespasian came in with several legions of the Roman, of the Roman army and actually levelled Jerusalem. They took apart the temple just as Jesus said when he came out and they said, Lord, see all these wonderful buildings here. And he said, I tell you, there will be a time where you're going to be compassed about and there will not be one stone left upon another. And indeed, they literally took the temple apart brick by brick to scrape off the gold that was found there. So that prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ was directly fulfilled in 70 AD. But this obviously wasn't in 70 AD because Peter was writing. This was obviously before that time. So what's the scattering? What's the time frame? We need some evidence for it. There had to be a scattering of the Jews that came before this time. And we look at it and we find it in the book of Acts. Turn to Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 7. Have a look at Acts chapter 7. We know and believe that this is the scattering that came upon all Jerusalem after the martyrdom of Stephen. You remember Stephen? The godly deacon who um, was, um, was stoned to death. He was stoned to death for the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we discover that this first persecution was in the hands of Saul. Who's Saul? Remember who Saul is? Saul is the Apostle Paul. This is, this is an event that happened prior to his conversion. 
It was a year before Paul was actually converted and he is the main cause of this scattering that this letter is even addressed to at the moment. It's pretty incredible. Have a look at um, chapter 7. We'll take our text from verse 58. This is right at the end of of Stephen's life now. Um, In verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord, verse 58, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is, this is Stephen saying that. Continue on in chapter 8. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad. Notice the same word, scattered abroad. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. It's incredible, isn't it? This is Paul. It was Paul's work that actually worked to scatter these people into all these different areas and all these different regions. It was Paul's work that we find here. Move forward a couple more chapters to chapter 11. Chapter 11 in the book of Acts, have a look at verse 19. It speaks about this again here. It says in verse 19 of Acts chapter 11, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but to the Jews only. Interesting places. Phoenicia, we have Cyprus, which we know is, is the area of Greece, and Antioch. Antioch, incredibly. The place where Christianity bloomed and blossomed, where the word of God, it was a centre of Christianity. Do you know where Antioch is today? Antioch is about 60 kilometres west of a city called Aleppo. Who's heard of Aleppo? Who's heard of Aleppo recently? Aleppo is the biggest city in Syria. And Aleppo is that place which was originally Christian 2,000 years ago, where Paul would have gone through in order to get to Antioch, which today is under severe trials. It's being bombed by both the Syrians themselves and the Russians. Christians are being slain and killed there. And it's, uh, it's a, a terrible, terrible place. But this is where Antioch is. And this is one of those cities. So it's again north of Israel and it's on the way towards these regions that Peter is speaking about here. Okay, that's where that is. In verse 20 he says, And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. This, this martyrdom of Stephen and this persecution came after his death which we understand is roughly around about 35 AD and about the same time a year later not even a year later was the conversion of Saul 
Saul walked the Damascus Road and we know the story of Saul and what happened to him. But understand the reason for their death. The reason for their death was one. It wasn't because they were bringing up a political enemies of the nations around them. They weren't fighting a political war. The reason was simply for their faith in Christ. It's the only reason that they had been scattered. Only because they held a different view of reality. Can you relate to that? Can you? I can't relate to it. I can't relate to the idea of being forcefully removed out of my house. A house that my children have been brought up in, a house that we've had many celebrations. These people, their homes, they would have had so many different festivals and Passover meals and everything like that. The fathers would have done their work to beautify the homes and the, and the wives would have done the same thing, nurturing this place where they would bring up their children. They would have entertained friends and family and guests and all that sort of thing. Could you imagine, imagine everything that you've done and everything that you've worked for and all the family that you've had and now being forcefully removed out. Imagine your own houses. Imagine being pushed out of there at the point of a gun and saying you can't return here anymore. Or you'd leave simply because you knew that they were going to be coming to take you away or to kill you. In Aleppo and in the places where uh, in Syria, places such as Mosul, which is the ancient city of Nineveh, ISIS would mark all the homes of um, Christians with the Arabic letter that referred to an N. The N stood for the Nazarene. It looks like a J. I don't know if some of you might have Facebook. You would have seen this funny little letter on people's Facebook pages a while ago. It looks like a little J with the dot, small, small case J. That was the letter for the Nazarene. These people's homes were marked and they were marked for persecution. And what do we find? These people were scattered. Scattered. And that's the people that we're talking about here. I know what's incredible about this is that there's joy here. Because in the text that we have in verse 6, he speaks about it and he says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice. What do they rejoice in? What do they rejoice in? Turn back in your Bibles to First uh, Peter, please. Back in your Bibles to First Peter. Keep a thumb there or a finger there because we're going to be continually referring back to it. What are they rejoicing about? It says there in verse 4, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice. They are rejoicing in that which is to come. They are rejoicing in, in that inheritance, which is incorruptible. And yet, they're rejoicing even though they're going through these trials. Even though they're going through trials. It sort of does your head in a little bit to try and work out, you know, when, when you're looking for happiness in this world and there's certain circumstances that go against your happiness... Um, you feel pretty sad, you know. And yet, how is it that you can have joy through trials? There has to be something different with these people. There has to be something different. There has to be something that's changed their nature because that's just strange. It doesn't happen 
in a normal, normal course of things. This happens because, this happens simply because these people were born again. They were born again. A miraculous event occurred and the very Spirit of God comes and makes residence within you. And it's not, it's not, a, it's not a head belief. It's not a, a conscious acceptance of the things with Christianity that you believe. And you don't believe it simply because your parents believe it. You don't believe it because your friends believe it. You don't believe it because it's a popular opinion. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm sort of a Christian. I agree with that stuff. No, that's not what's going to keep you having joy through trials. It's not going to have you have joy through trials. There has to be a change in these people. It has to be a change. They've gone from death to life. You're changed. If you've gone from death to life, you're changed. You no longer live in hopelessness. Now you have a living hope within you because you are changed by the new birth. You've been born again. Something's changed. Something's changed. And that's what's happened within you. Within each person that's been born again is the Spirit of God who testifies to their own spirit that they belong to Christ. A true Christian has this wonderful assurance that Peter speaks of, testifying that within, that he is kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to believe, ready to be revealed in the last time, verse 5, wherein he greatly rejoices. Only those born again by the Spirit of God, because they've trusted in Christ, can be a troubled people yet with joy the next point is joy through a troubled season have a look at verse 5 verse 5 says who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time wherein ye greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations one of the biggest errors that you find in the modern church today is the idea that, hey, become a Christian and all your troubles are going to be over. Well, it wasn't over for these scattered people, it was the beginning of their troubles. You know, All your problems are going to be over. Everything's going to work out well. You're going to be fine. You're going to feel better. You're going to prosper. And we talk about that as the prosperity gospel, the prosperity doctrine. Um, but they tell a half-truth. They tell a half-truth. Certainly, certainly, there are things that change to the better. Certainly, we have hope now. But that doesn't mean we won't go through difficult times. It doesn't mean that tribulations and troubles won't come. It doesn't mean to these people that they won't have to abandon their homes that they've lived in for themselves and probably for generations before that they would have to be scattered and moved. It didn't happen, it didn't work for them. They were still scattered, yet they had joy through their tribulations. Here he says there, he speaks about this to an already scattered people and he says um, that they are in heaviness. They are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Manifold te we know what temptations are, don't we? We know it refers to the, the difficulties, the trials, the evils. You know, when we pray, we're, we're asking the Lord, you know, let us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil so the temptations here is not a positive thing it's not just a testing it's a it's an evil that comes upon them but then he says they're manifold temptations this is a great english word this one manifold temptations it's uh it's a compound word it has two words within it many many 
manifold, many fold temptations. And it basically means many diverse and various forms of trials and temptations. That's what that's referring to. But he says, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Though now for a season. Now for a season. In a way, this is exciting. Because seasons come and seasons go. Winter only lasts, well, this year it lasted a lot longer than I expected, I've got to admit. But, uh, but winter only lasts for a season until ultimately summer comes, you know. It lasts for a season. Peter is speaking about this um, heaviness and manifold temptations as lasting for a season, okay. Um, these people have gone through their Job moments. You ever gone through your Job moments? You ever had those Job moments? I've gone through Job moments where one thing on top of another thing, on top of another thing, on top of another thing, all come to test me all at the same time. And they're difficult to deal with. I don't know, um, you younger kids are too young probably, but anybody ever remembers watching Rocky and Bullwinkle? Rocky and Bullwinkle, anybody remember? Well, Bullwinkle was a cartoon. It was a cartoon, not Rocky and Bullwinkle, the Roadrunner. It was a Roadrunner show. And sorry, it was Wile E. Coyote. Got two totally different cartoons mixed up. It was the Roadrunner show. And Wiley Coyote, he was a genius. He came up with all these ex- extravagant ways of trying to catch this Roadrunner. But every time he tried, the very contraptions that he used were used against him. And they were used in manifold temptations. You know? It was one thing after another after another. It was so funny to watch. And... You know, in the end, when you're going through some of those difficulties and all those trials that come one upon the other upon the other, I found myself, I, I couldn't help but, but laugh. But it wasn't that sort of ha-ha laugh. It was the same laugh that Wiley Coyote had, you know, that <laughs> all right, all this has happened. You feel like you're going insane. One thing on top of another on top of another. I'm over it now. I'm over it now. And that's what he's gone through. But, you know, even my trials were nothing compared to the trials that these people, Peter addresses here. They had joy through their trials, though now for a season they were in heaviness. A couple of things to bring out here, which is really interesting. He says there, if needs be. Did you notice that in the text? Have a look at it. It says, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness. If need be? If need be? Doesn't if need be presume a purpose? Do you have to do that? Do you need to do that? Do you need to go through these trials and temptations, doesn't that presume a purpose? Isn't it interesting? Here in the text, we have a confirmation of a purpose for going through trials and temptations, for going through heaviness and manifold temptations within our lives. It presumes in our passage purpose. And you know that? Even before I became a Christian, I knew that whatever I was going through must have had a reason. Tell me you haven't said it before. Tell me you haven't asked the question, why is this happening? 
Why am I going through what I'm going through? Why does this have to happen now? Why is this happening? Let me ask you a question. Why do you ask why this is happening if you're not presuming a purpose for what is happening? I haven't gone over your head. I'm sure I haven't. Does that make sense? There has to be a purpose. We know that instinctively that there's a purpose. But how do we know this instinctively? We know this instinctively because we all know God is. That's why we know this instinctively. We know that if God is, then God is sovereign. God is in control. God is the one that has a handle on the things that are going on. And Christian, if you are his, then there's something that you can know for certain about the trials that you go through. And it's found in the book of Romans, chapter 8. Now, you don't have to turn there, but I would ask you to please commit Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to memory because that is one that would help you understand so many things where Paul says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. See, even the trials and the struggles and the things that we go through can work together for good to them that love God. That's one of the reasons why you can have joy even though you're going through a trial. Even though you're going through a trial. Paul speaks about it in verse 18, 10 verses earlier. So remember, right? Remember, Acts 8, 28. Easy to remember, right? Then deduct 10, okay? Then deduct 10. You get to verse 18. And he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time... For I reckon... Now, this reckoning is an accounting term. It's, I've looked at everything that's gone before and I've studied it and I've come to an equation that equals this, right? It's the end of the equals, for I reckon, all right? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Not even worthy. Not even worthy. This suffering is going to endure for a season. And this suffering, if needs be, will have its end, but will culminate in glory. And it's only for a short time. What a wonderful blessing. It's only for a short time. So there can be joy through it. There can be joy through what we go through. These are kept by the power of God. He says, wherein ye greatly rejoice... James. In the book of James, you would have read it, comes up in the first two verses. And he says this, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Wanting nothing. You know, we learn things through our trials. That's where we learn things. We learn things through our trials and through our sorrows that we cannot learn through our pleasures and rest. Beautiful um, short poem by Robert Browning. He said, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow and near a word she said, said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. We learn from sorrow. 
we learn deeply because those are the times where we start considering more the things of God. We draw closer to the Lord and it's that sort of a trial. It's a trial that we have, but it's only for a season. Third point, joy from a trial of faith. In verse 7, verse 7 of our text, it says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise, unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The trials we go through are trials of faith. They're trials of faith. They're times within our lives that we draw on our faith, drawing closer to the Lord. Peter says that the trial of faith is much more precious than of gold that perisheth. That tells you something interesting about your faith. What happens about our faith? Our faith grows. Our faith has a value associated to it. It's precious, more precious than gold. It's interesting, gold is the most precious metal that we have on earth, and yet it perisheth. It perishes through its own trials of fire, it perishes through its polishing, it perishes through use. Gold is not something that is going to be permanent and indeed will perish with this world. So, but the trial of our faith is more precious because that trial would grow into everlasting in everlasting joy. Child of your faith leads us to what he says here, the praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, please. Romans chapter 5. Even though our trials might be tried with fire, there may be some of the most difficult time of our lives and yet how wonderfully do they help and bless us Romans chapter 5 verse verse 1 verse 1 we spoke about this the other week it says therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. It makes us not ashamed, you know, There is a purpose to the sufferings. There is a purpose to these things. And this is one of the reasons why we can have joy. There was a gentleman by the name of Dr. R.A. Torrey. He he was the founder of Christian College in uh, in Los Angeles called Biola University. Um, He endured a terrible time and a time of great sadness with he and his wife when their 12-year-old daughter was accidentally killed. I can't imagine the loss of a child of my own um, and I can't relate to how difficult this would have been but I could imagine that it would have been really catastrophic for them. His wife, his wife as they were watching the, the burial and the lowering of the coffin into the grave, the day itself, I'm, I understand, was, uh, was a really dreary day. It was raining 
there was nothing happy about the day at all and that was, that was emphasised by the, by the environment around them. But Mrs Tory said, I'm so glad that my little girl's in heaven and she's not in that box. You know, we say these things and she did indeed say this and that gave them comfort but only for a moment because then a day passes and I take up the story here. Dr Tory said that the next day, as he was walking down the street, the whole thing broke anew. The loneliness of the years ahead without her presence, the heartbreak of an empty house and all the other implications of her death. He was so burdened by this that he looked to the Lord for help. He said, and just then this fountain, the Holy Spirit that I had in my heart broke forth with such power as I think I had never experienced before. And it was the most joyful moment I had ever known in my life. Oh, how wonderful is the joy of the Holy Ghost. It is an unspeakable, glorious thing to have your joy, not in things about you, not even in your most dearly loved friends, but to have within you a fountain ever springing up, springing up, springing up, always springing up, 365 days in every year, springing up under all circumstances unto everlasting life. How? How can you experience this but by the Holy Ghost within you? How can that happen? There has to be a distinction between the Christian and the other people that are in the world. There has to be a change within them. The Holy Spirit doesn't come upon those who have not accepted his invitation and asked him to come into their own lives. But those who have, those who have the Spirit of God within them and have joy even through trial. It's for the testing of their own faith. He says here in this last point, joy unspeakable in our love for Christ. He says there in verse 8, Whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. How is it indeed that a Christian can love someone he's never seen? Ever thought of that? We've never seen Jesus. Never seen him. How how can we love someone that we've never seen? You know? No person can love someone that they've never seen unless there's something other there's some other form of intimacy that goes beyond a visual company. We know that people that are vision impaired can certainly love other people. But there has to be some other form of intimacy there, something else that impacts their lives. And for the Christian, for those who have the Spirit of God within them, we have an intimacy. We have a relationship so intimate, so intimate and so close that not even death can separate us from that joy in that relationship. Not even the threat of death, I mean. We can be taken away into different lands. We can be persecuted. We can be troubled. We can have family taken away from us, yet none of this takes away our joy because of this intimate relationship we have with God. A relationship that is 
Yes, experienced. We experience the relationship with God. And the more we draw close to the Lord, the more we draw on that fountain and that beautiful experience. And this is what occurs when one is born again. When God, in the form of His Holy Spirit, makes residency within us, it is that time when His will becomes our will, when His love becomes our love, and when His joy becomes our joy. It's then that we certainly may enter into the joy of our Lord. So the Christian is different. The Christian is different because he has this hope in them. Isn't that what Peter says? Peter speaks of being ready to always give a testimony of the hope that is within you. It's a hope that's within us. It's a hope that's within us. I can't describe the joy that I have in Jesus. And, and like Dr. Torrey's experience of the Spirit of God within him, this literal fountain of joy welling up is, is unspeakable. It's difficult to describe. How do you describe this joy? You can only experience this joy. It's difficult to describe. Friends, if joy can be found in a troubled people, as we see in this passage, and if joy can be experienced through a troubling season within our lives, even for a time, even if it needs occur, and if joy can come from a trial of your faith, and finally, if an unspeakable joy can come from our belief in an individual we have never seen, then surely the Christian has had a change within that is the most profound experience that can ever be contemplated. And this is the new birth. This is being born again. And these are those who, verse 9 in our passage tells us, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. But we are, as Christians, forgetful creatures. We're forgetful creatures. And many of the vices that we might entertain that will remove that joy of the Lord. Billy Sunday said, If you have no joy in your religion, then there is a leak in your Christianity somewhere. I like that. We'll speak more about the things that might hinder our joy in the sermon to come. But know first of all that as I spoke to you last week about the joy that's found only in the gospel of Christ and only through the salvation of your souls, so too this week do we speak of this same joy as unique. It's a joy that is truly to be experienced even through trials. And we will all go through trials. This joy even in trials, because we know that God is our Father, Christ is our Saviour, the Holy Spirit our promise, and that all we go through has purpose that will always work together for good to them that love God. Friends, keep the reading of the Bible always, always close at hand because it's from the reading of the Scripture that you have the encouragements. It's the promises of God that's found written in His book that you can rejoice in. You can rejoice in because God has said. And if you know Christ, stay close to Him in prayer. Stay close to Him always in prayer that you don't lose that joy. So easy otherwise to lose the joy. And those of us that have experienced that know exactly what I'm talking about. I'll close with this thought. There was an ancient manuscript found. It was found in the 3rd century, so roughly around about 200 AD, the 200s. 
And it was, it, was about, it was a man who had written and he was anticipating his own death and he penned these last words to a friend. He said, it is a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. Are you one of them? Are you truly one of them? If you're not, if you're not sure that you're one of them, please, please feel free to talk to me. Please feel free to talk to somebody that you trust. Because to be one of them, to be one of these people that have joy even in trials, to be one of them is the greatest blessing in the world because it's the greatest hope that we have in the world. And this is the testimony of the hope that we have in us. This is the testimony that Peter speaks of in these first 11 verses of a scattered people who had joy even through trials. How unique is that? How unique is that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for your work and the sending of your Holy Spirit to all who would ask you for him, to all who would ask that your Holy Spirit be given them, that they believe in the work of Jesus Christ, our Saviour, to save our own souls. Oh, dear Lord, that those heads who are bowed now, Father, I pray, dear Lord, that even now they would ask that your Spirit would be given them. They would ask, dear Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and make residency within their own lives, that they may indeed be born again, born anew, that they have gone from death to life and they would receive this everlasting joy. I pray, dear Father, that as we go about our days, dear Lord, that we will share, be willing to share that hope of the Lord to all who would hear. I pray, dear Father, you would give us boldness, a boldness that can only come, dear Lord, as we experience more of the joy of the Lord within our lives. Help us not quench that spirit within and help us grow. Be with us, dear Lord, in this fellowship as we share a, a cupper after this. We pray, dear Father, you would be with our speech and be with us again. And should you tarry, dear Lord, that you would bring us together again next week. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.